We learned some fascinating stuff today on the start, including that Winnipeg is the third fastest talking city in Canada. We also learned about Frankenstein at the Burt, the WSO Night at the Movies, and there is a really cool history behind the music in that movie, or should we say that is not in that movie. And we had a really good discussion through the show about wake-up calls, because I got one yesterday. You are out of shape, Brett McGarry. What's your wake-up call moment? As mentioned, I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, October 19th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And, Loren, yesterday you were on location at the Leaf ahead of the swearing-in ceremony, and you did get to take in some of that ceremony. First impressions? Yeah, I stayed for the whole thing pretty much until the end of uh, Premier's speech. And my first impressions, well, I had so many thoughts going through my mind. You know, this has been a tough, I don't know, week, year, years, and there's times to just sort of enjoy the joy and that certainly was very much on display yesterday. You know, like it started off feeling kind of like a social with Kevin Chief and the Norman Chiefs dancers uh, kicking things off with a jig and, and, and traditional Métis dancing and the crowd was shouting and cheering. And then it, there were moments of real power and and poignancy where one of the chiefs stood up and thanked Wab Canoe for what he was about to do. The fact that he was making history now is a, turning the page on the history of Manitoba and hopefully finding a new way forward. And there were other chiefs in the crowd wiping away tears, you know, at, at the idea of what they were seeing in front of them. Someone with a headdress on, a First Nations person um, up there on the stage taking on the title of the person who's going to run this province. And so there was a ton of emotion there. Uh, there was a lot of cheering. And I get it. There's going to be some hard work in the days ahead and the honeymoon period is not going to last long and there'll be a lot of time to analyze and criticize new new policies as they come through but as a day standing there just on the outside looking in i as a manitoban felt proud for what i was seeing unfold in front of me and the fact that you know we don't often make headlines for the right reasons in this province you know in this country we're often looked at as the crime capital or the murder capital we talk about mosquitoes or our weather and all these things and here we were yesterday doing something pretty significant and so i thought that was great i am the, the cabinet super diverse that was announced yesterday and it was, you know, it was relatively diverse under the old government too, but a, a, other firsts were made in the appointment of the deputy premier, Uzoma Asaguara. There was just a lot of things where I just thought, you know what? Soak it in for now because today you're going to wake up and people are going to be like, my healthcare still sucks. But yesterday, pretty, pretty darn great. We don't have a text message yet asking uh, where that 14 cents is on the price of gas, but I, I assume that they're coming, if not later today, <laughs> in the next couple of days. And so, yeah, I think uh, you're right, Loren. Yesterday was uh, a very proudful uh, moment for so many Manitobans just to see um, a, a different part of, of Manitoba culture celebrated in such a grandiose fashion and in such a bright spotlight. And so it was educational for me. I watched the in entire all the proceedings here uh online at cjob.com and it was um i I wish i would have been there uh where you were loren because you could sense the the history the pride and uh kevin chief uh encouraging us all to consider having uh whiskey before breakfast worked for me as well that was one of the uh jigs that they did (laughs) that was the song that they jigged to uh whiskey before breakfast so it was uh it was a uh one of those events where there was just a sense of renewal. And I think mm-hmm. the I think the venue really added to that as well, didn't it? Well, it was just a, it, it's a really beautiful space. And when you talk about this idea that, you know, all the, the things that we look back on and we think about this, the, the past and, and the road that this country and this province has walked when it comes to residential schools and colonization and all the rest, you know, there's all sorts of conversations in and around that. But look, there was just joy. Like I, you know, I was I, at that one point. I was at the back where they were preparing to go in, and there was this room that you could see um, Premier Canoe, his family, and all the cabinet ministers in there. And they went through a really special ceremony uh, where they, they did a smudge. 
they had some prayers. Um, he spoke to them. I couldn't hear any of this. I'm just sort of this, uh, literally like a little bird looking in through the glass. And you couldn't, t- you couldn't shake the smiles off people's faces, right? And you know, at one point waving to a young kid in the crowd who also was one of the best well-behaved kids in a two and a half hour ceremony I've ever seen. And so I think that in, in today's world where we're struggling to find some good, let's, let's like, let's let this be a good day. One of those days, maybe you might say, and I was grateful to be there. I was there for that. And here's hoping that we can four, three, six, how many years this goes on from now, look back and say, change started today. And there was all sorts of moments like that. Even when they announced Nello Altemeyer as the education minister, um, Murray Sinclair had been on stage making some comments earlier, some really great comments about now Manitoba's new history and new story rather begins. And he stood on stage and said, education is what got us into this mess mm-hmm. in a reference to the residential schools. And then said, let education be what gets us out of this. So there was, I, I couldn't stop writing down quotes. It was a quote machine, Brett. We'll have more of those quotes coming up in our next segment. And we also, uh, you know, we'll, just wanted to you got the lowdown on this, Greg, because yesterday I was walking down Notre Dame towards Donald, and uh, I saw global camera guy Jordan shooting something. So I walk up and I look over and, and I just say to him, "What the? What is going on here?" Because they just opened this stretch of Smith in front of the Burton Cummings Theater in the, in recent months. They they redesigned the the, the f- traffic flow there, and they've are, they're, now they're they're gutting at least a chunk of it. Brand new concrete, yeah. brand new curbs, uh, brand new boulevards. It looked fantastic. And then I got the text message from you. What on earth is going on here? Uh, I'm editing a little bit. Uh, drove through there and I was in the same sort of, you got to be kidding me mode. So um, you mentioned the fact that we'd had a camera there. So I figured, oh, Global News is on top of this, figuring out what's going on. And the, the city says that the geometry wasn't exactly right in terms of the way that road was built. And so they've cut out what's essentially the curbs and a portion of the curb lane. And they're going to just be adjusting that slightly to accommodate, I guess, the way motorists would like to go through there versus the way it was designed. Maybe just a little bit too sharp of a a term. They made a mistake. mistake. Was ma- yeah. yeah, yeah. Somebody uh, and, and used, that can happen. Somebody I get used it. A, the compass wrong, or 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 or, or something like that. So I they- mean, that's going to happen. But it's just then say it like that. Sometimes I, I, w- I wish we could get someone to write our statements. Sometimes you know, when the, at the at end least of it, you're fixing think, it. No, but you'd be you, at the end of it. You read what? What does that mean? Oh, I think it means you made a mistake. <laughs> But right now, we want to talk about how you either are one or have someone in your life who is one, a fast talker. My whole life, my entire life, people have been telling me my brain moves faster than my mouth and sometimes it gets going so fast you can't understand what I'm saying. And then at some point you have to have a translator to come in and say, what the heck did Lauren just say? <laughs> and then I have to remind myself every darn day to slow down. So why are we talking about this? Well, one group has concluded that Winnipeg is home to some of the fastest talkers in the country. Preply is an online learning space with thousands of tutors connecting students in hundreds of languages all over the world. And it analyzed speech patterns in the 10 largest cities in Canada and rated Winnipeg third fastest talking city. Greg, with Ottawa second, Edmonton first. Yeah, the Alberta thing has me a little (laughs) perplexed, I'll be honest. Sylvia Johnson is a language expert at Preply and joins us now. Sylvia, good morning to you. Good morning. So Steve Woodmore is the world's fastest talker at 637 words per minute. That's really, really fast. How did you figure this out and how do you analyze fast talkers as it pertains to those of us across the country? Well, we were super interested because, as you said before, Preply is an online language learning marketplace, and we relish the opportunity to really delve into any area of interest involving language or culture. And as you said before, the idea that some people speak faster, some people speak slower, how intelligible and unintelligible people can be. Um, we thought this is fascinating. And also, we know we have lots of tutors from Canada as well, and so we were curious to find out 
okay, I wonder whether the speed rate of our cheetahs is, is similar to some of the speed rate of the locals. So what we decided to do is we took a list of the 10 most popular, most populated Canadian cities, and we actually delved into the YouTube data to analyze the speech rates. So what we did is we analyzed the transcripts of the videos from either local news stations or from podcasts. And we were using this, we were able to calculate the average word said per minute for each city. So fascinating. And as you said before, Winnipeg, pretty speedy and in fact when they said would you like to go and talk about this thing I was a little concerned that you were going to speak to me very fast <laughs> <laughs> yeah because we're not in Toronto and that was rated the city with the slowest so what can we learn from this well I think it's really interesting first of all when you think a little bit about the type of podcast or news um YouTube videos that we use, there's a couple of things that it, that came to mind. So first of all, we saw that when you're discussing heavier topics, um, that normally comes hand in hand with speaking a little bit slower, probably to signify a certain amount of respect for the situation. So for example, podcast or radio show news report subjects that we analyze, such as real estate or religion or lifestyle, all of this had a, a real impact on how quickly the guests were speaking. So obviously any sports podcast where commentators are used to imparting the excitement of a game, they tended to speak a little bit faster. Music also, um, one of the shows we looked at in Winnipeg, which I think was the Witch Place radio episode, like that did actually show that discussing music also had the ability to stimulate people and impact the speed at which people talk. Is there something behind the region? You know, uh, Greg referenced the fact that Edmonton was rated the fastest talking city in the country. And and he, I don't know, Greg, I don't want to speak for you, but it didn't fit with maybe what we no. feel like Alberta is. No, we but, but, associate that part of the country sort of like a slower pace, a easy going, that sort of thing. I would have thought maybe, you know, Edmonton, Vancouver would be slower, certainly not Toronto. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because what we saw is the speech rate in different cities can vary for several reasons and is often influenced by a combination of linguistic, cultural and even environmental factors. So as you've mentioned before, perhaps the pace of, a city, the pace of life in a city can also impact speech rate. So maybe in fast-paced urban environments, people may speak more quickly, perhaps to keep up with the hustle and bustle, whereas in quieter or more relaxed cities, speech may be slower. I mean, of course, this does vary, um, but it's, it, for us it was really interesting to see, yes, in general, those cities did very much lead to that fast-paced delivery. You mentioned the Witch Police Radio podcast, by the way. That's one of our colleagues, so that's pretty cool that uh, you just randomly popped up on that. So in, in terms of speaking, if I speak too fast, like if someone tells me I have to slow down, uh, have you analyzed, do you have any tips for people on, on what they can do? Because I know I know several people, I've had colleagues who, uh, similar to what Loren was talking about, where they have to try to force themselves to slow down, and sometimes they just can't. So do you got any simple t tricks? So one of my favorite tricks when speaking is actually thinking about the beauty of pausing between words to give people time to understand what you're saying and process what you're saying as well. So I would also think it's, it's about being conscious of who you're talking to and what message you want to put across. So that for me would be the biggest tip. So take a moment, breathe. You've got all the time in the world to get your message across and people are going to understand it better if you speak a little bit slower. In fact, there's some arguments that when you when you're talking fast, people assume you're just trying to convince them. You know, it, it, people who f talk fast are actually in a disagreement at more of an advantage because you can't keep up with what I'm saying, right? So I'm I'm sort of being unintentionally maybe manipulative when I'm speaking so fast. <laughs> I mean, I think that can be the case. I mean, again, that's something we probably associate a little bit more with sales pitches when they're just like, oh, let me give you all of these statistics and numbers and we're going to confuse you and you're not going to know what's right and what's wrong, etc. So, yeah, I think that that's definitely a way that we've sort of unconsciously processed that the more you speak, the faster you speak, the less information I'm going to be able to process it, and therefore should I be a little bit suspicious. But as I said, I mean, it's also very cultural. So these 
see a lot of languages, they naturally speak much faster. Um, we're Preply's actually one of our offices is based in Barcelona and Spanish in particular is a language where it feels like somebody is firing words at you all the time. So there is that cultural part too. So I don't think it necessarily indicates that one should be suspicious of what they're saying, but it is a good point that with, with salespeople especially, they can overwhelm you with information. Sylvia Johnson is a language expert at Preply, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Sylvia, thank you for this. This is really neat. Thank you so much for uh, for having me. And you can weigh in at 204-780-6868. Yeah, I, I, ooh, the pause. And look what I just did. You did the pause, and I just did the Lorraine. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, fast talker. Here's the, here's the definition of a fast talker, a person who verbally manipulates others into doing or believing something, especially something that is not in their best interest. That's not it's what I'm doing. It's an actual thing. That's not what I'm doing. I just can't control myself. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have bomber tickets to give away for Saturday's game against Edmonton. And today we want to talk about wake-up calls because I got one yesterday as I went over. Had, we're, we're co-hosting the Grace Hospital Foundation Gala next week. And uh, we've done the last few years. Looking forward to that. But I had to go get suited up. Go see my friend Ken Lozano at Aldo Formal Wear at 310 Notre Dame Avenue. Great spot, by the way, if you need to get suited up for something fancy. Um, The reason I have to go see Ken as opposed to using one of my own suits is because I have one suit that's too big and one suit that's too small. I'm smack in the middle, and so I can't alter any of them, so I just go see Ken, and he suits me up, gives me a tux. But um, as I was standing there going through the process, I just hated how I looked. I hated how I felt, and it was the wake-up call that uh, I've been that I've been because I've been telling myself for months and months and months. Like, look, I gained weight during the pandemic, like so many of us, not a ton, but enough to annoy me. Uh, but I, it's not just about my weight; it's about how I feel. I just I, I'm not fit. I'm out of shape. I feel weak. I need to just take better care of myself. And that was it. That was the wake-up call. Because we were talking about fast food tricks. So all I was thinking about all morning was, what kind of fast food am I going to eat today? Well, after I stopped at Aldo, I didn't uh, get fast food last night. I actually ate healthy for once. And uh, he put me in all black as well. And I'm kind of wondering if that's because it's slimming. Oh, don't, now don't get carried no. away. No. no, come on now. It's just because you're going to look slick. That's why Ken wouldn't uh, do anything but make you look as fine as possible. So at 204-780-6868, we want to hear your wake-up call. And it doesn't have to be health or fitness related. It could be something financial. could be kicking a habit. Uh, could be something entirely different. So uh, Cameron Poitras, why don't we start with you? Uh, getting married was mine um, because I kind of, over the, since that moment, I kind of was looking at all the milestones and everything that I wanted to hit over the rest of my life, all the things I wanted to be able to do, all the, all the, um, I, I just looked into my future and I just said to myself, like, I have to take care of myself if to give myself the best chance to be able to experience all those things, um, that I want to do with my life and places I want to be and, uh, people that I want to be around. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that was it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I go to the gym every morning at 4 a.m. and it sucks. I'll tell you that it sucks. It blows like you wouldn't <laughs> believe it's as bad as it sounds. Uh, but I get myself there every day during the week because I want to make sure and I, and I eat healthy. I, I try to eat healthy. Of course, I'm not perfect, but I, I, I got to do it. If, if, if I want those things, then I have to I have to do it for myself. That's at least what I tell myself. 4 a.m. Good for you, Kim. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what about you? I, when I started this shift, actually, told myself, I don't need to nap. I can just do this. And uh, that lasted about two months before I started feeling like really like horrible, like feel like physically, mentally, etc. And uh, just found myself not even wanting to do anything on the weekends because I was staying up all day, probably like six hours, five hours of sleep with no nap. So that's not healthy. That's not good. Um, so then finally, it was just like, I'm just going to have to start napping and then slowly got my sleep schedule back and like fitness schedule back and 
and just wanting to hang out with friends again. And uh, so it just really like isolated a bit, just like not wanting to do anything even on the weekends. But uh, yeah, so that was my wake up. Uh, I can tell based on my morning hello from Sarah how <laughs> If she had napped the day before, because <laughs> sometimes she just turns and just nods mm-hmm. and then goes back to her desk. Can't say anything yet. <laughs> uh, Forte, what about you? For me, it would be my sore feet. I've been having sore feet lately, but it's because in my apartment, it's a concrete building. So the floors are so hard. And my mom bought me these slippers for Christmas like three years ago, and I never wore them. And now I'm wearing them like I cannot not wear them because my feet every time i step on my floor it's just like i don't know it's not a shooting pain but it just it hurts my feet i'm like i gotta wear these slippers all the time now and if i don't it's just it's there's a little bit of pain didn't brian sharstein tell us you're supposed to wear you should be wearing something on your feet yeah. in your house, right? Rather yeah. you're, Canadian footwear, right? that's yeah. right yeah, whether or not that. you're in a concrete building or not concrete floors or not so that's 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 a good wake-up call that's a good reminder, Jeff. I got to start doing that. We have all these Crocs in our house and uh, just uh, basically we have about six <laughs> pairs that fit me and the boys. Jackies don't, well, they fit Brendan, but I'm, you know, would never say out loud that Brendan has small feet on the radio, but apparently he does. <laughs> just did. <laughs> <laughs> Loren, what about you? No chance well, I give up bare feet. Ever. Yeah, I'm like that too. I, and then in fact, I just had um, my mother-in-law say the other day, something about putting shoes on and arthritis and all the rest. But I take my shoes off as soon as I'm home and I'll walk around the yard. I'll walk around other people's yards. I go out in the street. Like I pull the garbage bin back in and bare feet. I'll do that in winter. I have been known like multiple times. Oh yeah. I'll just, it's not insane. Well, do you walk in snow? Like, yeah, yeah, I'll quickly scamper out in the snow and pull something in with my bare feet. Big deal. I've gotten phone calls the next day after like friends have, you know, you over for supper or drinks or a party and your shoes are here. (laughs) because <laughs> I just walked home. Like, you know, there's six houses down and I don't want to put the shoes on, but it, it's so true. It's probably going to be pain. For me, this is an ongoing thing of a wake-up call about um, like self-care. And so you talk about going to the gym or your naps or what have you, and there's so few spaces in life where you take a moment for yourself. And I, uh, after getting a massage, I don't know, about two and a half years ago, I had found this woman who will come to the house and it was so good and so great for my sleep and so helpful that I, that I that moment said, book ahead, you know, like you have to just start getting these things where you're not last minute trying to ease the pain in your back or trying to find a way to relax because A, you can, B, it's just an hour and C, it's, we're fortunate that it's covered and I don't take advantage of those things. And so just, mm-hmm. just about a year into this job, I, in terms of radio, I started that and, and it's made a big difference in just being like, that's going to be my one moment every couple of months where I'm not thinking about anything else, but just saying to her, that's it. That's the spot. (laughs) It is Mackling, McGarry and McNabb for a chance to win bomber tickets for Saturday's game. We're asking you about a wake up call that you experienced, whether it was something health and fitness related or something financially related or something silly. I don't know. Donna, says, for me, it was the COVID shutdown, which showed me how busy I had been. So I learned to say no. I learned to take time. And the enforced rest was actually annoying, but good, because it helps you reevaluate what is important and how to learn to say no. Have a great day, says Donna. That's, uh, and I think, hopefully, a lot of us have yeah. had that epiphany and have stuck to it. You know, what is the saying? It takes, you know, X number of weeks to develop a habit. And then you had weeks upon week three. Okay. So then we had weeks upon weeks of having to do things so differently. And I think that's why for many, they have stuck with it because it lasted so long, rightly or wrongly, right? Like, Like there's lots of people that will also say the opposite happened where they didn't get out of that habit of, you know, being okay, being alone and, and now never want to go out again, but know that they should. Right. Like there's the opposite that might have happened too. you know, you need to socialize and it's good for you. But then you enjoyed that alone time. And how do you find that balance? Well, and how about this uh, really a a collective wake up call for a certain percentage of the population that has just said, yeah, you know what? I'm not driving to work every day anymore. I'll go one, two days a week, maybe three or not at all. Uh, But that's sort of a revolution that we've seen over the last yeah. several years. It's been, it's been, uh, nope, this is a very eye-opening experience as it pertains to the, to the, uh, the COVID situation. 
Well, I'm home right now and I have a sick kid. And three years ago, I would have felt terrible because I would have had to call in sick to stay home and would have felt bad about it rather than feeling good about being with your kid, right? Yeah, and you now can here do both. I am and I can, and I'm trying to, and I'm working to do both, right? And there's, by the way, on that front, there's a headline at uh, CJOB.com. Uh, that was published yesterday. Manitoba's remote and hybrid workers not getting enough physical activity. Oh, so yeah, that's that. also true. <laughs> <laughs> you can read that at cjop.com. Small town salute time. And according to multiple sources, Canadians now spend more per capita on Halloween celebrations than they do in the United States. And Halloween spending is reportedly second only to the money spent on Christmas celebrations. Yeah, Canadians will spend over $1 billion this year on candy, costumes, and decorations. Approximately 4 million kids will trick or treat this year. And Loren, the love affair with Halloween is leading to a variety of options for haunts and other attractions around the province. Okay, so this morning... We want to take you to Fort Dufferin. So that's near Emerson. Emerson's just east of Highway 75 off the U.S.-Canada border. And this is where the Post Road Heritage Group is inviting us to go south and explore their haunted trail this Saturday. We say good morning to Marlon Empson, president of the Post Road Heritage Site. Good morning, Marlon. Good morning. So before we get into what's going on Saturday, just tell us about Fort Dufferin. I actually hadn't even, I know I know Emerson, but I didn't. I don't know anything about Fort Dufferin. What is it? Fort Dufferin is actually a national historic site, um, and it is was built originally in 1872 to house the Boundary Commission. And the Boundary Commission, the Canadian-British contingent, along with the United States contingent, marked the U.S.-Canadian border from Lake of the Woods to the eastern edge of the Western Rockies. So that was a very large undertaking, and after they left, uh, the Northwest Mounted Police inhabited the the location for a little while, and the actual famous March West left from Fort Dufferin in 1874. So what is it that people love about your part of the province? Um, I think because it's nestled along the Red River, it's a beautiful sight. This fall has been just beautiful, the extraordinary colors of the leaves of the trees there. Um, a lot of it is in natural state. There's huge trees, I'm sure, some of them up to 150 years old. Unfortunately, we're losing a few to some of the diseases in the trees, but it is a beautiful, beautiful location. It's a nice place to go out for a calm, quiet walk or do the trail with your friends. ATVs, it's part of the national or the Canadian trail system. Um, and then from Emerson to Fort Dufferin is, I think it was just over a two-mile walk that you can enjoy. So is this post-road? Does it talk about this whole this whole walk and talk about the preparations for the Haunted Trail? Oh, the Haunted Trail. Our group has been really fortunate. We've had some young, young blood join our group in the last couple of years, and they've got some fantastic ideas and a whole lot of ambition and energy. <laughs> so during one of our meetings, one girl says, I'm not good at planning historic things but give me halloween and we went okay <laughs> <laughs> so what what's it look like it what what's it shaping up to look like oh it's going to be awesome um there are going to be a bunch of different i mean your normal ghosts and witches of course and then a spider house maybe a few people might not want to go in in that <laughs> and then butterfly garden we've got a haunted under the sea we've got a pet cemetery and a lot of assorted goblins and ghosts and spooky things a lot I haven't even seen yet. <laughs> okay, this spider house, like you mentioned, the but- are there going to be actual spiders in there? Well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then I, you're right. I don't want anything to do with that. No, they'd, they'd be of the plastic fake form. <laughs> okay. Um, and you're we- not walking straight into like arachnophobia, the shed or whatever that was in the back of that property, Brett, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, there'd be a few people actually screaming that might scare a few others. <laughs> um, so uh, how do we get to, uh, to Fort Dufferin? Well, if you're coming from the north end, your best way is to turn on to the post road, which is the road that you turn towards Emerson when going south on 75 Highway, and just head straight east till you hit a dead dead end, turn north for a mile, and you're right there. 
All right. So Saturday, four till seven is the right. haunted trail. Is there a cost and, and how do people get in touch? Do you have to make a reservation or just show up? Just show up. Yes. From four to seven. Um, we weren't, we struggled with the time cause this is our first time ever, but we decided four to seven. So it'd be more daylight and a bit of a shadows happening by the time everybody's done, but no, you just show up and our cost is just, we're just asking for donations. We wanted to make sure that families with lots of little kids could afford to come to it. And it's, it's all outdoor and Sun Valley Co-op is going to provide hot chocolate and coffee and Cole International is donating candies for the kids. There will be water there for everybody. So yeah, local volunteers are helping make, make decorations and help things, we'll set things up Friday and Saturday. So Wow. We all love these community events. If we want to check it out online as well, if uh, we're still on the fence about coming out, how do we uh, find you online, Marlon? Just through Facebook, actually. Perfect. Or on on Facebook, yeah. All right, Marlon Emson, president of Post Road Heritage Site, joining us for the Small Town Salute this week. Thank you so much for telling us about the Haunted Trail. You're welcome. Thank you very much. And on the note of Canadians spending lots of cash, <laughs> uh, listener Kristen says Canadians spend more because those 12-foot skeletons from Home Depot cost <laughs> double up here. I wanted one for my backyard to further enrage my neighbor, but sadly my spite budget could not swing it. Spite well, that budget. That stuff is expensive. <laughs> Like uh, my kids are always like, we should make a whole, you know, scene in our front yard, and and then you go looking, and I'm like, we can afford one tiny skeleton that will scare not even moose. Like that, that stuff's a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's not inexpensive. Those inflatables and some of the sure. giant things. My buddy Jeff got one for his birthday. He's obsessed with Halloween. I went into his backyard, and I just about <laughs> fell over. And you know Eddie from Iron Maiden, their their uh, their mascot. He's got like, I think it's 13, 14 feet tall. It's almost two stories really? in his backyard and his eyes light up and he's kind of imposing. And it's like, Jeff, you live this stuff, don't you? Man? Yep. This is my jam. So I don't know if he's going to move it into the front yard for Halloween or not, but there are some impressive gadgets out there for sure. Yeah. Anytime I go to my, my sister loves Halloween stuff. So I often get her, try to get her decorations. She likes to decorate for Halloween. And when I go into spirit of Halloween, uh, some of them I'm like, oh, that would be great. But then I see the price tag. It's like 300 bucks, 400 bucks, 500 bucks for some of these things. And and then I wonder like, some, where do you put all this stuff? <laughs> That's it. And then the storage. Yeah. You know, like I, I, they're huge. I think it's cool though. And if you get into it, you can make a whole month out of it. It's, I yeah. think, in, I think when I was younger, Halloween was more of like a, a week in advance kind of thing. Yeah. And now people do a lot of build up. Like sometimes before, long before Thanksgiving gourds and, and colors are out, people have their Halloween stuff out. Yeah, that's why I, one of the reasons why I, October is m- possibly my favorite month of the year. Yeah. I, I love the Halloween stuff. It's a lot of fun and to see everybody get involved. Although I sometimes wonder, like, you know, when they when people go all out in their, in their yards mm-hmm. and it's, like, scary, do you, <laughs> how, how, does, how does a three- or four-year-old trick-or-treating handle that? Sometimes they don't. Yeah. Uh, I can remember several times the boys saying, yeah, we're not going to that house. Oh, come on. The people have gotten, no, no, dad, not, not Looks doing it. Okay, we'll go the next time. And eventually they will come around to it. Our uh, neighbors, Rick and Carol, their son would sit out on a chair dressed like Peter Pumpkinhead, sort of, and just kind of sit. And it looked like maybe it was a, a like a stuffed something or other. No, it was one of their kids, and the <laughs> and the kids would be the kids would be getting their candy, and all of a sudden one of their kids uh, would just jump up. Ah! Oh, it was so good! I I love people that go to the extra lake to scare the kids. Not too much though, right? Just enough. It's part of the fun. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We've got the keys to the game coming up in a moment's time. Also, before Global News at 8 o'clock, we gave away a VIP package for heebie-jeebies. Producer Jeff Forte and Master Control, who is the winner of that prize? Oh, sorry, sorry. (laughs) Adam, big mister. Adam, congratulations. Enjoy yourself at heebie-jeebies. We've got one more of those prize packs to give away 
tomorrow. And a heads up on the subject of spooky stuff at 8.35. We'll be joined by Julian Pelicano from the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra because Night at the Movies kicks off on Friday with Frankenstein from 1931 at the Burt. And there's what actually, a place to do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because that place, was it you, Loren, who said that place is haunted? Yeah. The story, there was a performer that came, and I want to say they either died on a ship or, uh, you know, I don't know the backstory, but I've done haunted location tours before uh, for Global TV, and that is definitely one of them. And people will sometimes hear the, the singing in there or loud applause or different things like that. I'll double check the story and bring it back to you later. Oh, this cool. But still, yeah. that's it. That's awesome. So Julian's going to tell us more at 835 because it's actually a pretty unique story as it pertains to the music that they'll be performing uh, for that film. But uh, uh, as we continue to discuss wake-up calls, uh, because I had one yesterday that I've been saying to myself for months, if not years, since the pandemic started, that I got to start taking better care of myself because I was going to the gym before the pandemic and had a good diet and then the pandemic hit and I use that as an excuse to stop exercising and I started eating more garbage and uh, I put on some weight and I just don't feel good. I'm not in good shape. I'm not fit. And uh, yesterday when I went to get fitted for a suit for this gala that we're hosting next week for the Grace Hospital, went to Aldo Formal Wear. I just was not happy with myself. So I, that, I went home, ate better, went for a long walk, didn't get to sleep on time. I got to get more sleep too, but that's, it's on the agenda and I got to get back to the gym. Yeah. This past summer, uh, before I was, gave up the carbs and the, and the fast food, I went shopping for golf shorts and I said to Jackie, I crossed a very unimpressive threshold Oh yeah, today with regard to the size of my shorts that felt comfortable. And that was a big wake up call. It's like... Oh, something that has a number that doesn't start with a three. Not, <laughs> not good. Yeah, I remember that. So what does James have to say? I've been going uh, the last 20 years to the gym in the morning at 545, four to five days a week. Like your last text message, we were talking about things you're doing maybe to get ahead of things and, and take care of yourself preemptively. Uh, this is the best for mental health and a huge stress reliever, says James. By the time I leave... For work, most people I work with are still getting up. It's not an option for everyone, but it is a, a great way to sh- start your day. We'd have to start thinking about this. And Loren, Jen in 2020 made a drastic change. Yeah, Jen says, working in healthcare opened my eyes as I began seeing people that were my age that were requiring daily home care. I immediately changed my diet. I started going to the gym, cut out unhealthy habits. Two and a half years later, I feel better than I did in my 30s. I look better after losing 85 pounds, and I'm strong and healthy. I never want to be someone that needs help getting dressed or going to the bathroom or any other daily activities. It is never too late to make a positive and healthy change. And at some point in your life, you might need that help. But are there things you can do to prevent getting that, needing that help earlier than you might have expected, right? And I think that's part of what, what Jen's saying. So that's really great. Yeah, and I saw that when I was on location a few weeks back at the Refit Center for uh, Active Aging Week. And um, there were people there who were way older than me who were in way better shape than I am. And uh, you could tell that they were working hard and they're probably there every other day or every day. And uh, so that was inspiring to see that it really is never too late. Just because you hit a certain age doesn't mean you you have to give up on yourself. Oh, yeah. My my, uh, father-in-law, he's going to be 80 next year playing pickleball. Been playing pickleball really since it started. Golf's once a week. Like you just, you got to keep your brain and your body active to... You know, to fight off the aging process. If there is such a thing as a fountain of youth, I suspect it lies within activities of the mind and activities for your heart. So continue. Oh, go ahead, Lauren. I was going to say, speaking of getting your heart going quickly on the Burton Cummings Theater, it was a pair of uh, performers who were really famous. Lawrence Irving and Mabel Hackney, they promised to return to what was then the Walker Theatre, but then they went down in the sinking of the Empress of Ireland, which I think is one of our worst maritime disasters off the Canadian coast. So they died, but they people feel they fulfilled the promise to return because they uh, have been heard on the stage again. You'll often hear applause, apparently, when you're performing, or kind of like a, a ghost crowd listening in. So there you go. That's cool. So in the meantime, tell us about your wake-up call for a chance to win some tickets for Saturday's Bomber Game. We'll pick a winner at 9.15.
It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Bomber tickets to give away in our next segment based on your wake-up call stories. And I would imagine, Loren, that some t- a, a potential wake-up call could be if you actually do an audit of just how much time you spend staring at a screen. Well, do you ever get that report that comes to your phone that tells you how much time you spent on your phone during the week? Like no. Mine will just send me an alert. I should disable it, quite frankly. <laughs> I have it, disabled it. It, it. Because it makes you just go, whoa. And, you know, if I if I think about the number of times I have been on my phone this morning between, say, 4.30 a.m. and, and now, it, it, it would almost probably look like the straight hours, even though we're talking and typing and researching and doing different things. We're we're 85% of the time on some sort of screen. And so this week's Statistics Canada released data on how much screen time is being used in our kids. And it found that during COVID, uh, the, the increased screen time and less physical activity was more pronounced in girls age 20 to 12 to 17 rather than boys and that Canadian preteen and teen girls became less active and engaged in more screen time uh, in 2021 compared to 2018. So they were looking at the pandemic numbers, but it had us talking this morning just about like, do you ever set rules for yourself thinking, man, like this is like the third hour of TV I've watched today, or I've been scrolling on my phone this whole afternoon rather than getting anything else done and and the conversations we have about screen time. I was just sharing off air. My kids now, when they go to the doctor, like our pediatrician is wonderful and he spends a lot of time talking to them. It's not just now, you know, like your weight and your height and, and what you eat. There are all sorts of questions about what goes on in classroom. Who's who are your friends? Tell us, tell me about the conversations, kind of conversations you have. What do you think about this or that? And then he asks them, and he always says, "Mom, do not answer here." As if I'm going to lie for them, kind of like the "How many drinks do you have in a week?" question. He always asks them, <laughs> "How much time do you spend on the screen in a day?" And then he walks them through what they need to or not need to do or not do when it comes to their screen time because it's clearly becoming a thing. Where they, we need to make sure we're monitoring our kids, but ourselves too. So screen time, it's interesting because typically we'll think about the fact you just mentioned the idea that you get that report of how much time you spent on your handheld device. Well, we spend four hours in the studio. I've got two screens within a foot of my face right now managing multiple streams of information. Mm -hmm. We've got one, two, three, four. We've got like 10 other screens and monitors in the studio. The two hours that we spend before we come on the air here are spent on screens. So there has to be a similar situation with kids in terms of how much screen time they get at school, not just on their personal devices, but in terms of time on the computer or iPads that they're using for their education. And then you put aside the handheld devices, Brett, and the rest of their, exactly, TV, movie, or video games on the 58-inch screen. So it's like every waking hour and sometimes even while they're sleeping because their phones half the time are right next to their head. It's, It's all screen time now. Yeah, when I get home... Uh, well, look, we, this week we spoke to two authors, right? We had Dave Hill yesterday talking about his globe-crushing hockey odyssey, mm-hmm. which was cool. And on, earlier in the week we spoke with Newfoundland author Michael Crummy about his latest book, The Adversary. And we typically get copies of these books. We got the, the copy of the, the, the Ant Who Needed a Transplant yesterday, that children's book. And even the – I have all these books at home. And I keep saying to myself, read books even read the kids book i wanted to read the story about the aunt who needed the transplant because just it looked like a good story and the artwork etc fine and what do i do i sit on my couch i've got a stack of books beside me on my side table but instead of reaching for one of them i reach for my remote and i spend like two hours watching youtube videos on my tv before i finally of nothing like sometimes of not of just like whatever my algorithm keeps popping in and then eventually i'll turn to my PVR or Netflix or Prime or Disney Plus. And then I've spent, it's like my whole day is looking at a screen. All the while cross-referencing and validating the information that those videos are giving you, right? I watched a David Beckham 
uh, on Netflix, the three-part yeah. David Beckham yeah, documentary yeah. on the and weekend. Googled your way through it, right? Well, yeah, I had to pause every like ten <laughs> minutes. Go, oh yeah, I remember that game against Argentina. So I had to go back and and relive that and go through all the different. Oh yeah, I forgot about this. So then I click on that video and that article, and so like it's four and a half hours of viewing that takes me ten hours because I I, I want to validate and and make sure that. I'm remembering things in the same fashion or, or cross-reference some of the stories and how true they were and how bad was the paparazzi. Oh. You did it Screens than everywhere. I was Googling out of that. This is just dovetailing into something else. I Googled out of that one. Um, where did they meet? How many houses did Beckham and Posh own? Which house is the biggest? <laughs> yes. Outdoor kitchen, David Beckham, design. Yeah. Roast chicken recipe, David. Because at the end, they had this roast chicken. I was like, damn, that looks good. I wonder what his recipe is. I Googled <laughs> zero factual information and just pure nonsense. But it was not like, you know, you're learning. So you're still learning in that moment. Like, yeah. you know, we have to keep reminding ourselves there's still some learning happening. It's just that when you add it all up and I, and I, in your long list of screens, half the kids now are doing, are on an iPad for hours a day at school too. And that the doctor said doesn't count, but I was like, but then they're still staring at a screen so much in the day. We had an optometrist on earlier this year about our eyesight changing because of screen. And now you can't sleep as well because we're on our phones into the night. I'm just depressed myself. <laughs> Brett, you should make today day one for reading and do it while you have your day two salad. That's a great idea, actually. I, I really like that. Thank you for that suggestion, giving me the nudge <laughs> I need. Because I got I to gotta feed just my brain. Just while you have the salad. Like while you're taking 12 minutes to eat your salad. Yeah. Just read your book. Got to feed my feed my body with healthy food. Feed my brain with books. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have tickets to give away for the Bomber game on Saturday, and we are asking you this morning about wake up calls. Have you had a wake up call moment? Whether it was something regarding your health, or perhaps it was something financial, like. Uh, Greg, do you see this one? One of our runners up here is David. My wake-up call was a hard one, and it has to do with financials. I was getting married in 2017. I was doing a lot of gambling, often when I could afford to, but my wake-up call was I had to stop gambling when I started gambling away my wedding money. It scared the hell out of me. Like I thought my wife was going to kill me and divorce me before I was even married. Oh, wow. Wake-up call. You, David. Right on, brother. Yeah, I know a lot of people who have... Cam used his marriage as motivation. He said earlier, when I got married, I realized I had to make some changes. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of guys who quit smoking when they either got married or when their wives got pregnant. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, that can be a powerful motivator to to kick the habit or or get over whatever you need to get over. And uh, Loren, another runner-up here, Chris, had to make some significant changes in his life. In 2018, my doctor read me the warning signs. He said, lose weight or I'll be seeing you on the operating table. I had ignored his previous warnings, but this time it really hit me. As someone with a travel-heavy job, I was constantly faced with deep-fried and unhealthy food options. I had to face reality and realize that was just an excuse. There are healthy options at restaurants. You have to look for them. I made major changes in my eating habits and started an exercise routine. And last May, I ran in my first half marathon for the W. Oh, right on. Today, I'm 56 and feel like I'm 36. Oh, yeah. He says, don't let anyone tell you you can't do it and do not compete with anyone on your health journey. This is about your longevity, happiness, and wellness. Oh, that's inspiring. We've got a lot of inspiring stories today. Chris, thank you for that. But our winner is Richard Joyal and this... This he really <laughs> he really tried for this one, Richard, and we salute you for this. And this is a good one that I think a lot of people can relate to. He says when the Winnipeg Blue Bombers held the season opener and it was the largest gathering in Canada, that was my wake up call. I had been a bomber fan for years. I'd gone to a handful of games in the old stadium, a handful of games at IG Field, but walking into IG Field when everything was locked down and I hadn't been in a large group of people for months, the sights and the sounds. And even to a certain extent, the smell of a crowd of people was just so, I don't want to say overwhelming, but it awakened my senses and made me realize that this was somewhere I needed to be 
more often. I went to every game that shortened pandemic season. I never regretted a moment of it. I even was lucky enough to win a set of tickets to the home closer that year. The only game I was going to miss, but CJOB got me there. It was a realization that for eight or ten nights every summer, I really got to be at IG Field with as many like-minded Bomber fans as possible. So the the per, the pandemic offered some perspective to get to the Bomber game. So Richard, you're going to the Bomber game. Yeah, season last home game of the regular season again this year. Congratulations, buddy. We will get in touch with you to get some details from you. Just wanted to quickly revisit the story that we brought you at 7 o'clock. Loren, we were talking about fast talkers and where Winnipeg ranks on that list in Canada. Yeah, third, according to the group that works with online tutors and students around the world. They analyzed our words per minute, our right, and we were third in the country, or at least of the big Canadian cities that they looked at first. And the fastest talking city in Canada was Edmonton, then Ottawa was two then Winnipeg, and then last on the list was Toronto, and that surprised some of us, but it also had us having a great conversation with the language expert about how we speak. You heard that clip in Sarah's newscast there, and I'm trying to employ this right now, about taking thoughtful pauses before you move on to the next thought, because sometimes, you know, and the hard part in this job, we are on a time crunch, so there is a finite amount of time to get your thought in. But that doesn't mean I have to rapid fire my way through it. And it's an ongoing struggle for me every day to slow down. But then when you take that into life, Brett, you were making a point about your experiences in in social conversations and other about the fast talker or the poor listener, which maybe sometimes can be both. I have a theory that that I'm not saying this is why we speak quickly, but I have a theory this could be contributing to why we are fast talkers and I, I think it could be that we want to get out everything we have to say before we get interrupted. Because I notice this way too often in conversation, whether it's one-on-one or in a group setting, that we it, it almost feels like we aren't waiting, we're not listening so much as we're waiting for our opportunity to jump in and take over. Like I have one group of friends, when we get together, I don't even talk. I don't even bother because a lot of them are alpha males and it's just whoever yells the loudest takes control of the conversation. And I don't even try because I gave up because I can't getting interrupted is really frustrating to me. Like if I give you the courtesy of hearing what you have to say, you can shut up for 30 seconds and hear what I have to say. And I think that maybe that's why people are in a rush to say what they got to say, because they know you're going to interrupt us. Yeah, I know you're going to interrupt me. So just listen. I've heard So that's what that's a, a possible explanation. It's a preemptive strategy to get all the information out that you want to get out because yeah. you're worried you're not going to get it. So many people say, oh, you talk for a living. I said, no, actually, I listen for a living. Like a great majority of our time spent on this program has to do with listening yeah, and to processing what's being shared by our guests from one another, from our text line. So uh, yeah, listening is underrated skill. I think, Brett, you might have something there. And I wonder, sorry, Brett, I just wonder if you could rate listening skills. Like you could tell when someone's actively listening to you, but I wonder now with so much information coming at you. I mean, we have all been in conversations or meetings, frankly, and Teams has made this more easier, where you're listening, but you're often doing something else. Yep. Right? You got one hand on the phone, you're typing an email while you're listening, and you can see it in your own home, or you go out with friends that you could be in the big of a meet of, you know, a heated conversation, and someone's texting someone else. Or you're like at a dinner party. Someone's on their phone. You're watching a Fact show. Checking you. Someone's on their phone. But they're not, are they? Sometimes they're just responding to a text. Like I think we have collectively, you know, you can talk about conversations or interruptions. The way we speak maybe has changed and not necessarily for the better. But the way we listen, I don't know if you, you like, I don't know how you would measure that, Brett, but it would seem to me that over time we're not, good as good of listeners as perhaps we might have thought we were and i don't mean that's particularly as the show i just mean society yeah or just not 
got any theories, feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868. And you can read more on the speed talking at cjob.com. Now we played Alanis Morissette's You Oughta Know to open this segment because we gave away tickets for the show a few weeks back, a couple months back, and it's finally here. Jagged Little Pill opened on Tuesday night at the Centennial Concert Hall. It's playing through Sunday afternoon and is a story set around the music of Alanis Morissette's landmark album from 1995, Jagged Little Pill. And I had the opportunity to speak with one of the cast members, Jade McLeod, who hails from Toronto-ish, self-described, by the way, that's how it was described. Well, we went to college in Windsor at St. Clair, graduated in 2017. So we got the lowdown from them on what the show is all about. Uh, so it is about a, an American family living in Connecticut who, on the outside, look like they are kind of perfect and have it all together but on the inside are each at their individual breaking points and and facing some some really difficult inner truths so over you know through Alanis's iconic album which we do include all 13 of her songs plus a couple of of songs from her other discography uh we kind of go through the fire with this family and and come out the other side what was the process in deciding let's take this album by Alanis Morissette and turn it into uh, this story. Uh, one of our producers, I believe it was Arvin, um, you know, was in the shower listening to Alanis Morissette and all of a sudden went, this should be a musical. There's this mother-daughter relationship in this album. Oh my God, this should be a musical. And he didn't know anybody that could make that happen. Um, but I guess figured it out. And here we are with... However many years later. Well, in Atlanta, she even recorded a couple of new songs specifically for the musical? Yeah, she did. She was a huge part of the original um, creation of this. Like, she was she was right in there with everybody. So I, I don't know how old you are. I'm guessing you were either A, a kid, or B, <laughs> not even here yet in 1995 when the album came out. So now that you're a part of this show, what does that album mean to you? You know, I think what this album did was different than anything that had been done in the music industry. I mean, to have this like kind of punk rock female vocal top charts around the world, win all the Grammys is insane. And and so for me as like kind of a person that I think lends himself to this like punk, you know, rock vibe and, and energy and personality, um, it gave me a lot of freedom to just be myself and, you know, express myself fully and, and be my angsty. Sorry. And who is your character? You play Joe. Yeah, I play Joe, who is Frankie's uh, best friend with benefits, as Alanis would say. Frankie is kind of our, our daughter character in the show. We have um, the matriarch of Mary Jane Healy and her adopted daughter, Frankie. Um, so yeah, Joe's this kind of, it's this little love, young love, you know, side story that we get to see as well. When did you first start thinking, you know, this is what I want to do? It's interesting. I was in college and I think we had, or not in college, sorry, in, in high school. And we had like kind of a college person come from the different musical theater schools. And I was like, I don't want to do that. That's crazy. That's what crazy people to try and (laughs) make a career out of this. Um, and I honestly don't know what changed, but eventually, by the time I got to, you know, my senior year, I was, I was auditioning for those schools, and I got in and got my education, and it just, I don't know. Sometimes I joke that I just kind of, like, fell into this, and now I'm too far gone to turn around. <laughs> um, but it's, I'm having a good time, so I think that's what matters. I, ga- I gather you, you would have to, like, the... the some jobs you can phone it in, uh, but I would imagine it's probably tough to phone it in when you're on stage in front of a live audience, right? Yeah, especially with this music. I mean, it's kind of, I get to sing You Oughta Know, and by the time I open my mouth in that first lyric, I'm like, here we go, and something takes over, and I, there's no, there's no phoning it in at all, that's for sure. When that song came out, there was a tectonic shift in music. It's such an iconic and important song, and and you get to do it. I know. How cool is that? Um, It's 
pretty much a dream come true, quite literally. Um, I knew going into the audition that I would, like, that was obviously part of, a huge part of the, the, the audition was that song. Um, and I knew how, you know, impactful it was and also how much pressure is on it. And it's not lost on me every single night that I, I know people are waiting to hear hear that. I know that people have a very high expectation of what that song means, what it should be, what it represents. So, yeah, I just hope that I can – I do my best to live up to it, and I think I'm doing a good job. Jade McLeod, who plays Joe in Jagged Little Pill, playing at Centennial Concert Hall, and I know a couple of people who have gone to see it this week, and they say that Jade does knock you out of the – you ought to know out of the park – but should also point out as well, it's a heavy show, as Jade po- mentioned. They they cover some pretty serious things like sexual assault and addiction. And uh, it's a, I'm told it's a really unique sort of show to go to because it's a bit heavier than a normal musical. But the music is so powerful that it, it, it comes together. And, and what sounds like one of the more unique musical experiences you can take in. It's almost unbelievable. It's 28 years ago. Yeah, that groundbreaking album, and it's not just that song, you know. No, oh no, I think it's learned by Alanis. Like mm. it was anthem for me. Like on a bad day, I'd be putting that on and trying to remind myself that like better days are to come. Like that, there are so many people who would say that got me through. Like so many songs got me through something, right? Well, whoever caused all that angst, I applaud them. Like, don't do it again. But yeah, thank you. Thank you, because it's a it's an album that changed the lives of a lot of people and their perception, their participation, their engagement with music changed for a generation. And of course, there's the the classic uh, debate and fun yes. to be had about Ooh. that's not ironic. Oh. That's oh. just coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think there's nothing in that song that is actually ironic. Doesn't fit the textbook definition of ironic. <laughs> no, but it's still a great tune. 